0: I think that's one of my favorite bumpers. I just love that, let's go. Let's get to the mountains. Um, Not right now, though. (laughs) Hey, I'm so glad to be here, and I'm so glad to be here with you, and whether you're here in person or whether you're watching online, um, we're just so glad that you can be here. I'm Diane Thatcher. I'm one of the pastors here at Meadow Park, and I'm just excited to be able to be here with you and to continue our series, Summer on the Mountain, as we're looking at Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount that's found in the Gospel of Matthew, and it's chapters 5 through 7. And this segment of the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to be looking at today, put this a little closer, that maybe that'll work, that we're going to be looking at today, um, how can I say this? It is huge, not length. Don't get scared. No, it's it's huge. It's just powerful. And it has the power to wreck you, in a good way, right? It just it's so it's so strong. And and I I'm gonna just let you know we're talking about Jesus teaching to love your enemies. And the reason i'm stuttering and stammering is because all week long i have been wrestling with this trying to to come to grips with um just how to, to teach this and it's so humbling and as i try to unpack this two confessions you know i i didn't sleep maybe more than an hour or two the last two nights because You probably don't realize this, but we really do, like, get anxious sometimes. And I just felt like, Lord, can I really do justice to this teaching? Am I going to be able to convey what it is that you have to say? And, you know, God reminded me that in the Old Testament, he spoke through a donkey. So I think he could speak through me. (laughs) So I was just like, okay, Lord, here we go. But you know, uh, the first time I began to wrestle with this passage of Scripture, I was 14 years old. And I'll be 61. Yeah, I know. Some of you may have thought I was older. That's okay. Just keep it to yourself. No need to share. But the, the point is that I have been struggling, kind of wrestling, trying to understand the implications and the applications of this Scripture for 47 years. And I'm still trying to do that. Growing up, I spent my summers not in the mountains, but in the hills of southeastern Ohio in a camp called Camp Echo in Carrollton, Ohio. And it was a special place for me. It was a place of retreat. It was a place that I went when I was young. I could slow down. I could um, experience nature and I could hear from God. And it was there at Camp Echo that I accepted Christ when I was 14 years old. Accepting Christ as my savior was the best thing that happened to me that year. The worst thing that happened to me that year was my two best friends. We won't name them, Kathleen and Barb, I'm sorry. Sorry you're out there watching. But they suddenly just decided that um, they were my enemies. And uh, they turned against me. Midsummer, I didn't know why. Actually, to this day, I still don't know why. Um, but they they were, they just, decided that they didn't like me anymore. And for several weeks before I was heading back into eighth grade in the middle school, um, I started getting phone calls from them. And they would go something like, we're going to beat you up. And at first, I tried to talk to them. I was like, what's going on? What did I do? Why are you so mad? But they didn't want to talk, they wanted to fight. And then when I went to school, things got worse. School, they'd kind of follow me. You know, they'd make sure they'd bump into me in the halls. They'd leave me notes on my locker. They'd wait for me in the stairwells, and, you know, they'd taunt me or they'd shove me. And, you know, they started um, following me home from school. That was the worst. And they would kick at my feet, and they would try to trip me. And I kept saying, you know, I'm not going to fight you. I don't want to fight you. Why are you mad at me? Can't we just be friends? Things like that. And it went on for about six weeks. And this whole time, here's what was going on in my head, okay? Okay. I had just made this decision, sorry, to follow Christ at summer camp. I had accepted Jesus, and I had been told by one of the counselors to start reading my Bible. They said, start with the Gospel of John, and then read the letters of John, and then read go back to the beginning, read Matthew, and go through the New Testament. By the way, it's great advice if you're new to the faith, you want to hear about Jesus, you want to read about Jesus, Gospel of John, the letters of John, and then start in the Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So I did what they said. I started reading. I read through the Gospel of John. I read the letters of John. I read through the Gospel of Matthew. And what impressed me the most as I was reading through these scripture texts was this idea that to follow Jesus, to really follow him and do what he says, that Jesus was saying that we're to love people, And he was saying that we're even to love our enemies. See, I was reading things like this. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. That's 1 John 4. And then in our text today, Matthew 5, I read this. Love your enemies and pray for them who persecute you. So believe it or not, as a young person, as a new believer, I was naive enough to think that we were supposed to pay attention to the things that Jesus said and actually do them. Can you believe it? (laughs) But like I said, this went on for about six weeks. And one day in school, I was going up the stairs, and I heard them come behind me. And, you know, they started to shove a little bit and push. And I had just had it. I think, I don't know what it was, but... I was just like, okay, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with this. So I decided I was going to make my big stand, you know, on the stairway. So I, t- I turned around. They were a few steps below me. And I, I just was like, I'm done. i <laughs> just standing there like the sacrificial lamb. Go ahead. Beat me up if you want. I'm not going to fight you. And I was, like, talking really loud. I said, you know, I accepted Jesus as my Savior And Jesus says, we're supposed to love our enemies, and so just go ahead and beat me up if you have to. But I'm not gonna fight you. I'm not gonna fight you because Jesus is telling me that I have to love you. And then the most amazing thing happened. I mean, even before I was done speaking, it's like their whole body language changed. Right before my eyes, it was like they actually grew kinda smaller, and they broke eye contact, and they looked down the floor, Their arms dropped to their sides and they just kind of turned around and kind of slinked away. (laughs) And I was like, whoa. (laughs) I was like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I thought I could hear angels singing, you know? And then I turn around and I just to run up the stairs and I ran smack dab into the vice principal, Mr. Keel apparently had coming up behind me unbeknownst to me during my big grand speech (laughs) and so he was standing there so you know I don't know Holy Spirit mr. keel I'd like to think maybe it was the Holy Spirit using mr. keel but I know some of you probably want to know the rest of that story well they left me alone after that day and uh, and things went on and actually later in high school we actually. Um, kind of became friends like nothing had ever happened. But, but it, was a, it was a strange thing. And without taking anything away from that 14-year-old girl, because I felt like, I couldn't remember it like it was yesterday. I just felt like that took all my courage. I realize now that there was so much more to this concept of love your enemies that Jesus was teaching that I didn't understand at that time. But he is teaching this from the Sermon on the Mount, and he wants us to hear it. See, Jesus came to usher in the kingdom of God, and he came to usher in the kingdom of God here on earth for us. He said this at the very beginning of his ministry in the Gospel of Mark. He says, the time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. The kingdom is near, he said, and it's good news. And the entrance requirements, he said, you have to repent from your sins and you have to believe. We have to believe in Jesus. But then what? See, once we do that, then we begin to realize that there's so much more. We talk about life to the fullest, right? Life to the full in Christ. There's so much more that God wants us to experience. And it's this radical, revolutionary kingdom that Jesus is describing in this text. And it's more radical, than anything that we can ever read in our text today. So let's go ahead and take a look at it. Matthew 5, we're going to be looking at verses 38 through 48. And it says this. You have heard the, the law that says the punishment must, must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt sure is taken... Give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you have love only for those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Oh, Jesus, help us. So the big idea here is love your enemies. And so we wanna just take a quick moment and define enemies and love. Love your enemies. Webster says that our enemies are someone who's actively opposed or is hostile to someone else or something. Love, definition of love is a little bit more complicated, especially in English, because we love that music, we love that pizza, I love you. So love means a lot of different things in English. But in the Greek, the word that's used here is agape. And the definition for agape is the active love of God For his son and for people. And the active love of God's people that we're to have for God, for each other, and even for our enemies. And so this idea of love, generosity, devotedness, loving kindness, this is all wrapped up in this word. And again, we see this in 1 John, it says, This is love, that not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us like that, we ought also to love one another like that. Bless you. And then in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. See, this is an active love. And that's the key word here. That's the key note here, that this is an active love. We're talking about a love that generates a mindset or an attitude that's demonstrated by an action that flows out of that mindset or attitude so we're not talking about a feeling okay we're talking about an attitude or a mindset that's a choice that leads us and that our actions flow out of the mindset that jesus is asking for us to have in this passage is to actively love our enemies so how does he break it down he breaks it down into two sections the first Uh, idea or ways that he's talking about that we can love our enemies is to give up the right to revenge or retaliation. The second one is to seek their good and to bless them. Now, I always say this, and I want to make a caveat here, because I think as we talk about this, as we get into this, it's really important. Nowhere in scripture is Jesus saying to stay in an abusive situation. Jesus is not saying that. I am not saying that, okay? So no matter who you are, If that's happening to you, then I want you to tell someone, um, tell one of the pastors here, we want to help you. So that is not what Jesus is saying. But Jesus is acknowledging that there is evil in our world. And Rather than just follow our reactive instincts, our natural inclinations, he's asking us to choose a different mindset. And so he says, give up your right to retaliate. He says, you've heard the law that says the punishment matches the injury, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And we go, ow, oh, that is so harsh. That seems so harsh. But the idea behind it, and these are ancient, ancient laws. We read about them in Exodus 21. But there's laws of Hammurabi and all this. They're ancient texts. They're basically put in place to try to limit the amount of punishment that happens, believe it or not. You know, we think it sounds so harsh. But it's, it's kind of like when we say, well, let the punishment fit the crime. So we have civil and criminal courts. You know, We have different ways um, that we um, address issues. We have monetary settlements. We have tickets. Um, I've had a few. We have fines. Um, we have probation. We have prison. The key focus here is that Jesus is saying, you have heard this, but listen to what I say. And then he goes through this escalating Series of things if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other one. If you're sued, if a soldier demands you to carry his burdens. These are all things that they dealt with. Okay, To, to slap someone, you use your right hand to slap someone on the right cheek, it has to be like a backhanded slap. And that is a humiliating offense in that time. It still is today, but it was a humiliating offense. To sue someone in the court, you weren't allowed legally to take their coat, because basically all you had was a tunic and a, and a robe or a cloak. And if you took them both, guess what? You publicly shame that person because now they're naked, because they really didn't have a whole lot else. So it was actually illegal to take both. And then a soldier had the right to demand. He could call any Israelite at any time, put down whatever you're doing, stop. You're going to carry this load for me one mile. That was the legal limit, one mile. And Jesus is saying, he's not saying, you know, um, sorry. <laughs> I get distracted easily. But he's basically saying, look, he's, he's saying, don't, don't retaliate. When these things happen to you, he's saying, look at them as an opportunity to what? Express some generosity, a willingness to go that extra mile the way that we say it, and willingness to, you know, what does it take to turn the other cheek? Now, I can just imagine as the people are listening, because Jesus is looking at them, you know, and he had said, boy, you're, you're blessed. You're blessed because you have these great needs, and you're blessed because God is going to meet those needs, and you're going to be salt, and you're going to be light, and they're probably thinking, okay, this is not not too bad, and then all of a sudden he says, when someone slaps you, turn the other cheek. They're like, whoa, wait a minute. What? What are you talking about now, Jesus? No, the Messiah is supposed to come back and get rid of these Romans. Right? What are you talking about? Turn the other cheek. What are you talking about? Go two miles. What in the world is happening here? And we have to ask ourselves, don't we? Think about just feeling humiliated public shaming, someone in authority or maybe your spouse putting a burden on you, asking you to go the extra mile for them. We have to ask ourselves, how easily do we take offense? How quickly do we get upset? What does it take for someone to become an enemy? If Facebook's an indication, it doesn't take much, does it? If our politics are an indication, it doesn't take much. I started thinking if, if someone's easily offended, why do you think that is? And maybe this is a self-examination. If we think that we're easily offended, why is that? Could it be out of insecurity? Could it be out of pride? Could it be out of prejudice? Now, let's just be honest with each other, right? There are people that we like, naturally, and there are people that we have a harder time liking, right? That we might even dislike. And you know yourself that if someone you like says something to you, it doesn't bother you. Someone that you don't like as much says something to you, bothers you more, doesn't it? Pride, prejudice, insecurities. Jesus says, give up your right to retaliate. It's not enough to seek justice for yourself. You must show mercy and love to others. And Jesus says, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And Jesus says, you've heard. He doesn't say, you've read. Because nowhere in the Bible does it say, hate your enemies. So it's a good reminder, side note, that we need to know what the Bible says because people are going to say things that the Bible doesn't say. So Jesus says, you have heard. And he's talking about... um, Love your enemies. Well, in Leviticus 19, there's this whole discourse um, about not taking revenge and loving your neighbor. And this is kind of what Jesus is referring to. And this was a big debate in Jesus' time. And we know that Jesus was even asked this, well, who is my neighbor, right? And Jesus tells us the story of the Good Samaritan. But there was this um, kind of understanding at the time that the way to interpret Leviticus 19 was that, you know, the Jews were a tribal people. They were called to be God's people. And their conclusion was that the way that they interpreted love your neighbor was that this principle of love was binding only in their tribe. We tend to be tribal too, don't we? We like people like us. But Jesus comes out with a revolutionary statement. He says, not, love not only your tribe, whether that's your family, your friends, your church, your political party, whatever that is, love not only your tribe, but love your enemies too. And he goes on to say it's not enough just to give up the right to retaliate. We need to actively seek that person's good. We have to love them and pray for them. So see, Jesus isn't asking us to to generate feelings of warm fuzzy for our enemy. He's rather asking us to choose a different perspective, he wants us to see them the way God sees them, as someone that God loves. So is it doable? Well, Jesus certainly did it. I mean, just think about those things that we listed, being slapped in the face, being um, have your, being publicly nakedly shamed, uh, having to carry a burden. Jesus did all of that, didn't he, on his way to the cross? And of course, in his ministry. And then he responds, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He prays for his enemies. Well, I mean, yeah, Jesus did it. But can we do it? How do we love our enemies? What are some things that we can do? I just want to quickly give you some suggestions. I think the first thing is we have to look at ourselves. Because, you know, a lot of times... (laughs) Things are happening inside of us, and we might not be the most lovable person in the world. So we need to look at ourselves. And sometimes we look at other people, and we just look at them with a critical eye. And Jesus said, you know, before you look at that log in your brother's eye, take the moat out of your own eye. So we need to examine ourselves. How are we responding? How are our interactions? In Romans it says, don't pay back evil with more evil, Do things in such a way that everyone sees that you're honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. That doesn't mean doormat, that's peacemaker, that's actively living in peace. I think another way is that we can find empathy. We can walk in people's shoes. We can look for the good in them. You know, if you think about, if you put a face, you think about this, sometimes you hear a story and you have one reaction, but then you put a face to that story, a person, and you have a whole nother reaction, don't you? Because it humanizes that person. And so I think we need to, to look for the good, we need to find empathy, we need to try to walk in another person's shoes. And then we need to pray for their good, and the ultimate good is heart transformation. And we realize that there's a battle to be fought, but, but the Bible says it's a spiritual battle. It says we're not fighting flesh and blood enemies, okay? but our enemy is against the evil ruler, against the authorities in the unseen world, against the mighty powers, against evil spirits in heavenly places. And I um, pulled a picture, think of Martin Luther King. Is it on there yet? We have that? Yes. <clears throat> okay, this is an amazing picture to me. Martin Luther King, Jr. Um, obviously, someone that we know and respect um, had this battle, right? This battle, civil rights battle, that he was fighting. But he also knew that it was a spiritual battle. And one morning in 1963, while the journalists were out in front of his house, um, waiting to kind of see what he would do, someone had planted a cross and burned it in his front yard. There he with is with his boy, Not a, like, a, it's a heartbreaking picture. And as, as Dr. King goes out to take this cross out of his yard, they're kind of waiting to see what he's going to do. And he begins to pray, <laughs> and he doesn't pray for his family. He doesn't pray for their safety. He doesn't pray that the person who burned the cross would be caught or that somehow he would be vindicated. You know what he does? He begins to pray for God's blessing and God's favor to be extended to the people who lit the cross and put it in his yard? Wow. What would it take to get to the point where your heart wants to bless those who curse you and wish you harm? He wrote this in his book Strength and Love, and he wrote this about agape, the love that we're talking about. He says, when you rise to this, to love on this level, you begin to love men not because they're likable, but because God loves them. So you look at every person, and you can love them because God loves them. You see someone who's created in the image of God. And so if we're kingdom people, we don't have the option or the authority, by the way, to treat someone as unloved or to be unkind because that person is made in God's image. And more than that, Jesus died for that person. Jesus died for that person, just like he died for you and me. And I think the last thing is we realize that we cannot love our enemies in our own power. See, hate is destructive, but love is redemptive. It's powerful, it can transform lives. I don't know if some of you have heard of a woman named Tenboom. Ten Boom. She's you know, passed away, as obviously Dr. King has too. She was a woman who um, was hiding uh, Dutch Jews in her home uh, during World War II, she was caught. She was turned in, betrayed actually. And uh, she was sent to a concentration camp with her sister. And she survived the concentration camp. Her sister, Betsy, did not. Um, she wrote a book called The Hiding Place about her experiences. And she went around traveling, speaking about um, this time in her life. And um, I had the privilege one time to hear her speak, uh, but she told this story about loving her enemies. and. She said that there was this one time in 1947 where she was speaking, and there was a man that was there in the audience, and he happened to be a guard at the concentration camp um, that she was interred in. And in, the, in between time, he had become a believer, and he had accepted Christ. And so he came up to her after this, um, after she was done speaking, and she recognized him. And he held out his hand, and he said, you know, I told her that he's a believer and that God had forgiven him and he wanted to meet her and she pretended to be like fumbling in her purse. Purses are good for so many things. And, you know, because she didn't know what to do and her heart was just like stone. And he, he said again, he held out his hand and he said, I am so glad that God has forgiven me, but I want to know that you have too. And he put out his hand and she said everything inside of her was frozen and she said she just prayed help help me jesus and she said she knew she was supposed to forgive him but she was standing there and all she could think about was her sister and everything she'd gone through and the cruelty because she remembered him and she said i just have to do this see it's an act of will it's a choice so she puts out her hand and she grasps his hand she said the minute that she held his hand it was like lightning going through her body. She said she was filled with the love of God and the love of God flowed through her and through her to him. And she was able to say, I forgive you brother with all of my heart. I don't know about you, but oh my gosh, that story just touches my heart. It always has for as long as I've heard it. And she said this, it's not our forgiveness, it's not on our forgiveness or our goodness, that the healing of the world hinges, but on God's. And when he tells us to love our enemies, he gives us, along with the command itself, the ability to love. And Jesus says, and in that way, we're acting as true children of our Heavenly Father. Now one thing that struck me in, what time is it? um, That I I wanted to just ask too is, a lot of the stories I could find, they happened a long time ago. Why is that? Why is that, church? <laughs> Why is that, Diane? I'm just, I, you know, I'm 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 a little tired, and I'm that's all I'm gonna say. I promise God. Because he's he's working on this with me. This is this is God speaking to me. But I'm a little tired of all of the of, of the stories that we read about people reaching out to love their enemies happening in people who don't believe in Jesus. The stories that we're reading about are people who don't believe in Jesus and they're the ones who are reaching across and are extending love. That's our territory. That's all I'm gonna say. We gotta get that back. Because Jesus says in that way, that's how we're truly acting as his children. We're gonna choose an attitude of, of kindness, an attitude of love. And when we do that, when we reach out, when we love someone, we love an enemy, we're never more like our Heavenly Father than in that moment. So how do we apply this? So we might ask ourselves, well, do I have any enemies? I don't know. Maybe when I say that, I say love your enemies, someone immediately pops into your mind. Or maybe like me, you're like, I can't really think of any enemies right now. I mean, no one's burning crosses in my yard or trying to put me in prison. So let's just bring it down to maybe a level that we can relate a little bit more. What about our relationships? See, around here we say, in Christ, we are one. You know why we say that? <laughs> because that's what Jesus said. He said, you're supposed to be one. If the church, if we can't love each other, if it doesn't begin here, where is it going to start? It's important that we're putting God's love into practice here. One of the highest values of the kingdom of God are healthy, loving relationships. And a loving, healthy relationship with God our Father and with each other, with human beings, with other people. So how are relationships with our children, with our parents, with our spouse, with extended family, with our coworkers, with our neighbors? Sometimes I'm my own worst enemy. Are our relationships, are they healthy? Are they loving? Are they strained? Are they broken? We're gonna close out our time together and I'm gonna ask Roger and the worship team if if they would come on up to the platform. Since we're talking today about this active love, and we're kind of just taking a moment to think about the relationships that we have in our lives and, and whether they're healthy or whether they're broken or whether they need God's healing or whether they need God's blessing, then I'm just gonna give us an opportunity to respond. And you can respond or not, you can sit in your seat or you can, but we've set up two prayer stations on either side. it's not gonna take a lot of time, but the worship team is gonna sing God will make a way And I just ask you, invite you, that if there is a relationship in your life that you want to invite God to enter that, to heal that relationship, or if there's a relationship in your life that you'd just like to ask God's blessing on, that you would um, take a moment and you get up and we're going to ask you to to, um, light a candle, and you don't have to light a candle, you can just say a prayer, but I think maybe lighting a candle is kind of a symbol of that prayer. And then if you need someone to pray for you, I've asked Pastor Steve and Pastor Kyle, um, just kind of be available and hang around. They're gonna be there if you want them to just pray about a situation with you. Um, That's fine, but you can do either one. You can go for prayer, you can go to light a candle, and you don't have to do either one. But this is a time for us to take a step, even before we leave this building, to say that we are going to practice active love and that we're gonna invite God into our relationships to do that.